This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's a story of a quest for the Firebird from Slavic folklore. And we'll meet a big bad wolf, who will probably need to get new business cards after today's story, because it's hard to repeatedly rescue the man you're sent to doom to starvation and still be called bad. On the Creature of the Week, it's a horse-headed being from Philippine folklore who will push you down, giggle, and then not invite you to his wedding. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 15, Bad Wolf. This is a podcast where I tell stories that have shaped cultures from all around the world. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you probably haven't heard, but really should. This week's episode is brought to you by I Make Okay Things, an Etsy store specializing in Wes Anderson movie memorabilia. John, the store owner, is a listener and wanted to help support the show, and he reached out to me. At first, I was a bit skeptical because Wes Anderson really isn't related to myths or legends, but then I looked at his store, and he makes really good quality stuff. Rings, lighters, correspondence cards, costumes. If you're a fan of Wes Anderson movies, and really who isn't, and want to join Team Zisu, check out his store. Better yet, if you like his stellar craftsmanship, but aren't super familiar with Wes Anderson, he can do custom orders for rings and cufflinks. So if you want Viking runes, Celtic crosses, Thor's hammer, or the world tree on a ring or cufflink, he can do it all. Anyway, I won't usually spend this much time on an ad in the beginning of the show, but he took a chance on advertising on this podcast, so please, even if it's just for me, check out his store. You can go to mythpodcast.com slash imake, that's mythpodcast.com slash I-M-A-K-E, or there's a link in the show notes. And if you put the code MYTHS10 in at checkout, you'll get 10% off. This week, I'll be going back to Slavic folklore to talk about the story of the Firebird. These stories fall into the realm of fairy tales, so remember no gods or goddesses, time period doesn't really matter, and animals sometimes talk. They come from the same sources as those of Kashi the Deathless, a long two-parter that I've done, but one of my favorite stories so far. So remember that this is just a vaguely medieval or early modern Eastern European setting. This episode is a follow-up on the numerous requests I've gotten to do more Russian fairy tales, and this is a very popular story in that collection. I really like the concept of the firebird. It's not literally on fire, though some sources say it is, and it shouldn't be confused with the phoenix. It's a large bird with majestic, glowing plumage. Stories, like this one, start with it losing a feather. Catching the bird becomes the focus of the quest, but what I like most is that it also functions as an ill omen. You are drawn towards it, but the closer you get, the more problems you run into, directly as a result of your quest for the creature. At the start of today's story, Tsar Vyslav, and I'll talk about the pronunciation as I go, but a couple of the different versions don't agree on names, and I would be doing an incredible disservice to the languages if I tried them in their original pronunciation. So, I'm going to try my best, but it's going to be rough. Anyway, Tsar Vyslav had a problem. He had the most amazing garden in the world. He has many trees that can grow precious jewels, and the one in the center was an apple tree that could grow apples made of pure gold. Now, the jewel trees aren't the same as the ones from Aladdin, and the golden apples aren't the same as the ones from Hercules, so maybe his garden wasn't that special. If this tree had a multi-headed dragon garden in it, like Hera's, then it probably wouldn't have had a problem. That problem was that each night, the guards would see a glow in the orchard, and when the Tsar went out in the morning to count his golden apples, he would see that one was missing. Apparently harvesting it and keeping it safe inside wasn't an option, and I get that, 
If an apple tree doesn't have golden apples on it, how are you going to show it off? It just looks like a normal apple tree, then. The Tsar calls his two oldest sons together and tells them the problem. He tells them if one of them catches the golden bird who's stealing the apples and brings it to him alive, that person will be the sole heir. He'll receive half of the Tsardom immediately, and the other half upon the Tsar's death. The oldest son, Prince Dmitri, was slated to have the first chance, and he said he would not fail to bring the bird back alive. He would absolutely stay up all night and wrestle the bird to the ground with his bare hands and not fall asleep immediately. Sitting down under the apple tree in the dark, Dmitri fell asleep immediately. The next morning, the Tsar summoned him. The bird? Dmitri said. No, he, he didn't show up. The Tsar said, Really? I mean, I went down to the tree and counted, and one more apple's missing. And the guard said they saw the glow of the bird. It, it really feels like you just fell asleep and are lying to me. Nope, the son said, digging in and committing to the lie. No bird at all. Don't know what to tell you about all the incontrovertible proof to the opposite. Agree to disagree, I guess. The Tsar dismissed his son and called in the second, telling him that he would now get the chance to catch the bird. Literally the exact same thing happened to the second son on the second night, and he too doubled down on the lie. The Tsar rolled his eyes. On the third night, the third son of the Tsar, Prince Ivan, wanted to try. And yes and no, he is and isn't the Prince Ivan we've seen before. These stories come from a long oral tradition, and there wasn't a lot of focus on continuity, despite having virtually no similarities to the Prince Ivan that married Maria Marevna or the Prince Ivan that sought Princess Vasilisa, they're all kind of the same character. It didn't matter that Prince Ivan was already in other complete stories. Storytellers wanted to use him as a character in their own story. People wanted to tell cool stories, and there wasn't such a thing as intellectual property laws, so they used this Prince Ivan character for this unrelated quest. For all intents and purposes, we'll consider this as a different Prince Ivan, but, as always, it isn't that clear-cut in the folklore. And, also, today's story is actually the most popular story of Prince Ivan. Anyway... Prince Ivan really wants to take a shot at getting the bird, but the Tsar is wary. He doesn't want to risk his youngest. Ivan is a good kid, but he's still in his teens. If things didn't work out with those other two doofuses, then Ivan was all he had left. He patronizes the teen, saying that the dark is scary. Is he sure he wants to spend the whole night outside? They go back and forth, but eventually the determined Ivan wins out. The boy is said to be plain looking and serious. He's a sober, thoughtful young man who resents the fact that he's third in line for the throne, despite his brothers barely caring at all about the Tsardom. He wants the chance to get out of their shadow, to have an opportunity to lead his land and prove that he wasn't just a third worthless heir, but the one most deserving of the rule. That night, he finds himself dozing. He has to prove it to himself that he can do this, though. He has to stay awake. He yanks his dagger out, and, in a move that I'm very glad is not still considered a way to stay awake, he pokes his leg until it bleeds. And it works. The sharp bites of the dagger wake him up, and the throbbing of the wounds keeps him awake. Still, after some time, Ivan's eyelids are getting very heavy, and he takes a long blink. Then, it's bright, and dread washes over Ivan. He fell asleep. It's morning. But he looks just beyond the ground and leaves in front of him, and the stars are still out. He doesn't understand until he looks up. Above him, on the lowest branch, was a bird, 
It was a large bird, about the size of a peacock, and its gold plumage was so bright he could barely look at it. Then he snapped up. It was the bird, and it was in reach. It was about to snatch up an apple, too, and leave. Ivan lunged without hesitation, and it took off at the same moment. He had it, though, by a single tail feather. It beat and beat against the air, trying to get away from Ivan, but he had the feather. Then the bird broke loose, and he shot off east with a short squawk of pain. Looking into his hand, Ivan saw that he was holding a feather, still glowing as bright as the bird. The next day, the Tsar was confused as to why his son wanted to meet in a dark room in one of the dungeons, and opened a door to see his son standing alone there, in the dark. Ivan told the Tsar to close the door. He had something to show him. His father pulled the door shut, and just as they entered complete darkness, Ivan brought something glowing out of his pocket. As he unwrapped it, it was as if the room had been lit by a hundred candles. Finally, they had proof. The Tsar took the feather for safekeeping, and that night he set all manner of guards around the tree, with nets and snares. But the bird didn't come that night. It didn't come any night after that. The father was agitated. He didn't even care about the apples anymore. He just wanted the bird. He called his two oldest sons in to see him again. I can imagine that he pointed out that, one, here's a feather from the glowing bird that absolutely exists and was stealing the apples. You were asleep. Moving on, two, I'm going to give you both a horse to go after that thing. Whomever returns with the bird will be the heir. Both of them were excited to have another chance, but sneered at Ivan as they left the room. The two brothers, Dmitri and Vasily, rode hard for three days, along the high roads and the low roads, across the plains and over hills and mountains, until they came out of a forest and arrived at a crossroad. The road forked off into three paths, and in the middle stood a monolith, with this carved into it. Whoever rides straight forward shall know both hunger and cold. Who rides to the right shall live, though his steed be dead. Who rides to the left shall die, though his steed shall live. Dmitri and Vasily vacillated there at the crossroads for a long while. None of these things sounded fun at all. Who knew questing for the rule of a kingdom would be slightly difficult? This is just the worst. This one is a tough choice. Let's set up our fine silk tents here in the forest for the night and really think about this. And they did think about it. For days, the third option, to die when your horse will live, is right out, so that just left knowing hunger and cold, but presumably not dying on one road, and losing your horse on the other. Even more days passed, and they decided that taking an extended camping trip in their party tents was nicer than a dead horse or being hungry. So they set aside the whole questing thing. For now and for the rest of the story. I mean, hunger and cold? They didn't sign up for this. The only problem? Everyone was looking for them to return. They were the heirs. Ivan became concerned and wanted to go after them, to make sure that they were okay and to find the bird. His father, though, made some really good points. The Tsar was old, and the brothers had disappeared. Ivan was the only one left, and death could take the Tsar at any time. Ivan had won the competition by default, he was now the heir. If Ivan left on this quest and the Tsar died, a succession crisis would ensue, and rebellions would tear the land apart. As an aside, I wonder if the whole quest given only to the two brothers was just the Tsar's ploy to get the men out of the land and set it up so that the sober, smart Ivan was the heir. They're clearly incompetent and can't even be bothered to stay up past midnight to protect the Tsardom's magic tree. 
If sending them out after an unobtainable bird and then shaming them into never returning was his plan the whole time, then there's a reason he's czar. Unfortunately, Ivan really wanted to go after the bird and his brothers too. Even if he was the heir, he wanted to earn it and not get it by default because his brothers were idiots. He begged and begged, and for days he wouldn't let up. Finally, his father relented. Ivan needed a promise to return, though, regardless of victory. And he did. And a few weeks after they left, Ivan rode off in the direction of his brothers. He too rode for three days and came to the monolith. Presumably his brothers were sleeping it off in the forest because they don't have any interaction and Ivan chooses the route where his horse dies and he doesn't. Because I guess walking wasn't an option. Or going around. Or not taking a path. He rides for days though, so I guess that would have been a long walk. Four days, total, across a plain, until he finds himself in a forest. It's dark, and with a wall of trees, Ivan feels almost claustrophobic after days and nights spent out on the plains, where he could see for miles. The forest was dense, and Ivan didn't leave the road, even at night. The fire illuminated the edge of the forest, but not much more. Ivan was getting a little nervous. He had ridden for days, yet all he had to go on was the direction the bird flew off, and he hadn't seen his brothers on the most logical road. They could be dead. Speaking of dead, he chose this road because he would only lose his horse, and he hadn't lost his horse. Yet. He looked around. He immediately noticed the sounds of the forest at night. Insects, frogs, and birds. It was loud. So loud that he couldn't hear the footsteps, just inside the forest. But he saw the eyes. The light reflected on a pair of eyes as they opened on Ivan at the fire and his hand went to his sword. But when the thing emerged from the forest, he could see that it wouldn't really matter. It was a wolf, perhaps four times the size of a normal one. The wolf said, and, yes, said, remember that this is still a fairy tale, so sometimes animals talk. The wolf said, hello, prince. And it was obvious by his clothes that he was a prince. And since he was a prince, he could likely read. What did he expect would happen if he traveled down this road? The wolf turned and looked at the horse, who watched the shaggy gray beast warily. The wolf lunged, and the horse had enough time to turn his body to run before the wolf, as big as he was, had him on the ground. Ivan only had time to listen to the panicked, wounded cries of the horse for a few moments before the beast lost consciousness. Then, the wolf, his blood-stained teeth which seemed to be glowing in the firelight, walked back into the darkness of the forest. Ivan sat there, mouth the gate for minutes before going to his horse. He rested his hand on it as the night air was already stealing the warmth away from his corpse. He wept. The horse had been given to him from his father, but also he was four days out from the monolith, and that was another three-day ride from home. Ride. Walking, it would take almost five or ten times as long, and he hadn't seen another soul. He was in trouble. He could barely sleep that night, knowing the wolf could be just beyond the fringes of the road, and the next day he plodded along in the forest. He thought about it. He knew how long the trip back was. A castle, anything, could be just out of the forest, which could be only a few hours' walk ahead. It was a risk, but going back meant shame and starvation. 
he took as much as he could carry off the horse and began walking. Two days later, he was exhausted, and the forest stretched on and on as far as he could see. It was the middle of the day, but he felt as if he couldn't go on. He had been wandering in this fog for hours, days, and everyone had been like the last. He would starve to death out here, in this faraway land, a failure, and his father would never know what happened to him. His face buried in his hands, he heard another noise in the forest, and looked up. It was the wolf, no doubt here to finish him off, too. It paced there, studying him. In the daylight, it seemed larger, yet somehow less threatening. The wolf rolled his eyes. He said, you can't just give... Okay, you know what? I shouldn't do this, but get on. I feel bad about killing your horse, and you're brave enough for trying to keep going, but you'll never make it on foot. Just get on before I change my mind about it. Like anyone in this position, Ivan stood slack-jawed, looking at the wolf. This thing killed his horse, and now it wanted to help? It didn't add up. Ivan quickly considered his situation. This thing had probably been following him for days, and if it wanted to eat him, it would have done so already. Ivan was dead if he stayed here, and if it was some sort of trick, he didn't have anything to lose. He said, okay, and got on the wolf's back, and grabbed some handfuls of fur to hold on. Where to? the wolf asked, and Ivan told him about the firebird. The wolf nodded. That thing? He had seen it glowing in the night, and he had followed it to where it lived. He knew the way, and told Ivan to hold on. The wolf sprinted faster than Ivan had ever gone in his life, and when he got to the castle wall, he was exhausted. Just holding on to the wolf was like running the whole way. He flexed his sweaty hands for the first time in hours. The stories say that the wolf sped 20 times faster than the swiftest horse. Horses apparently gallop 25 to 30 miles per hour on average, so, conservatively, this wolf galloped several miles per hour faster than the fastest NASCAR race car. They come to a wall, and the wolf tells Ivan that behind this wall, the czar of this castle has three cages, a copper, a silver, and a gold cage. In the copper cage was a crow, in the silver, a jackdaw, and in the gold, the firebird. So apparently the Tsar has two of the most common birds on the planet, and then the mythical bird that's the focus of several quests, all sitting in these three cages out in the open. Ivan should, under no circumstances, take the gold cage. Just shove the bird under his arm and get out of there. The cage is nice at all, being of solid gold, but really, don't take the cage. Tired from over a week of riding, days of walking, and half a day on the back of a wolf, Ivan was invigorated after climbing over the wall. He saw the bird glowing in the courtyard. It illuminated the place, but Ivan couldn't see any of the Tsar's guards out there. The bird was even more glorious than he remembered from the orchard. He opened the cage, snatched it out, and held it with his left hand while he made his way out of the courtyard. It was only the size of a peacock, but it was pecking nonstop, and he needed to carry it back days and days when he could barely hold on to the wolf. No, he looked back at the cage. It didn't matter that it was gold. He would have all the gold he could imagine after he got this bird back. I mean, his father's tree literally grew gold. He just needed to contain this bird that was, after minutes, already pecking his arm bloody. He pulled the cage off its hook, and in the light of the bird, he could see the web of lines connected to the cages that moved when he took it. He heard bells ringing in the castle, then shouts. 
the nearly invisible lines kept the cage attached, and by the time he was able to cut it loose, he was surrounded by guards and spear points. After spending a night in the dungeons, Ivan was brought before the Tsar, who he learned was named Dolmat. He was nice when he learned that Ivan was a prince and the son of a fellow Tsar. Tsar Dolmat said that if only Ivan had come to him first, he could have just given the bird to the prince. Too bad. Now, though, he would need something in return to forget this shameful affront. If Ivan does something for him, he will not only forget this little incursion into his castle, but give Ivan the bird as a show of friendship. What Tsar Dolmat wanted in return was this. In the 30th Tsardom, there was a Tsar named Afron, whose father had promised this Tsar a wonderful horse with a golden mane. He hadn't followed through, though, and still had the horse. If Ivan went in and retrieved it by any means necessary and brought it back, he could have the bird, and this little issue would be forgotten. Outside, Ivan saw the wolf emerge from the forest, shaking its head. He told Ivan not to get the cage, and Ivan apologized and told him all about the horse and Tsar Afron. The wolf smiled. Get on. What? Ivan asked, surprised at the offer. Get on, the wolf said. That Tsardom was far, far away, and Ivan didn't have a horse. It would take him months to walk that far. Surprised once again by the wolf, Ivan got on, and they left the castle. Now, like the Tukashi stories, this one is obsessed with threes as well, so I'm not going to belabor that what happens in the lands of Tsar Afron is exactly what happened in the last place. The wolf takes him directly to the stables, where he steals a horse, but realizes he can't ride bareback, and wow, wouldn't it be nice to have that solid gold saddle which is completely impractical and likely really uncomfortable for all parties. The wolf knew about the saddle, and had warned him not to take it. Again. Well, surprise, he takes it off the wall, and a web of alarms goes off. And Tsar Afron makes the same kind of deal, and he has a quest for Ivan, or he'll send all his heralds around the world and announce that the prince is a thief. So we're now in a quest within a quest within a quest. The job, as it turns out, is kidnapping. The Tsar loves a princess, and, sadly, she did not love him back. Instead of moving on, he decides the next best thing is to blackmail a prince into going and forcibly taking her back to his Tsardom, and marrying her. Of course, because this is medieval literature, this isn't framed as kidnapping, and the princess is given as much agency as the horse or the firebird. She's little more than an object to retrieve on a quest. Despite actual kidnapping being worse than attempted thievery, Ivan agrees, sees the wolf, apologizes, the wolf accepts it, still agrees to help, and they leave. Lather, rinse, repeat. They, once again, NASCAR wolf it to the Tsardom, and the wolf stops under a tree in a field and tells Ivan to get off. They can see the castle in the distance, and the wolf will handle it this time. They already have enough quests. The wolf is very big and leaps over the wall in one jump. And minutes later, Ivan hears screams and snarls from the castle, and he saw the wolf bounding across the field with the princess dangling from his mouth. When he set her down beside Ivan, she was screaming and weeping, as I personally would do if a wolf the size of a horse broke into my house and kidnapped me. Anyway, I'm going to try to work with her characterization, but know that in the stories, it went this way. Princess Helen was kidnapped. She was terrified. She looked at Ivan once, 
thought he was handsome, went along with the kidnapping and fell in love with Ivan, and he decided that he wanted her to be his wife, not the czars who contracted out for her abduction. It's a problematic characterization, because once again it takes all choice on her part out of the equation. And that's a bit of a bummer, because Maria Marevna and Princess Vasilisa from the Kashi stories were some of the few positive portrayals of female characters that I've been able to find so far for this podcast. Anyway, with Helen's characterization, we'll get to the same place, but I'm going to try to make her motivations a bit more believable. She saw the massive wolf looming over her, and the armed man, who looked like he could be a prince, but one that had spent far too many weeks on the road, and she stopped weeping. It was hopeless. She was being kidnapped. Maybe she could find some way to overpower this prince, but the wolf was another issue. She would go along with him, for now, but she'd be constantly looking for a chance to escape. They couldn't go as fast with two people on the wolf, and seeing as the trip took hours and hours before, the three had to stop for the night. Though they did get far enough away so as to avoid any possibility of Helen's father's people catching up to them. As they sat around the fire, Helen was wary, but she could see that this prince was kind, and Ivan, well, Ivan had fallen in love with her the moment he saw her, and he was conflicted. He didn't want to be branded a thief, but he didn't want to turn this young woman over to the czar whom she had already turned down. They got to talking, though, and they found that they enjoyed each other's company. The wolf could see what was happening, and traveled slow enough so that they would need to stop for a second night. The two had talked all day while riding, and stayed up into the night in conversation, with the wolf off by the road, standing guard. The next day, Helen found that she had feelings for Ivan, too, and she didn't want to be turned over to Tsar Afron. Ivan wept as they both rode on the wolf, and the beast asked what was wrong. They both knew the answer. Here's what I'll do for you, the wolf said. If he had a tough time believing a giant talking wolf would save him and travel over 200 miles per hour, then you're going to absolutely hate that the wolf can shapeshift. Yes. So they tell Helen to hide in the forest, and before both their eyes, the wolf transforms into a perfect likeness of Princess Helen. And the prince walks him, or her, to King Afron, who's so delighted that the princess is so willing to marry him. He says, yeah, whatever, Ivan, take your horse and go. He has all he needs now. Ivan returns to Helen with the horse toward the Tsardom of Dolmat. Tsar Afron is with the wolf disguised as Princess Helen, and he's excited that the princess appears like she actually wants to be there. A couple of days pass, and the Helen wolf asks if she can take a short walk with her attendants, and the Tsar says that she can do whatever she likes. You know, except leave. She definitely cannot leave, so don't even ask about that. Well, she, or he, gets out in the gardens, and the wolf transforms back into his true form, tearing through the dress, scaling the wall, and bounding off into the twilight. In hours, he meets up with Ivan and Helen, and they resume their quest together. So much like the way in, the same thing happens with the next czar, because Ivan wants to keep the horse and the firebird. So the wolf transforms into the horse, and by the time anyone's the wiser, they're too far away to get caught. They find themselves in the forest where Ivan met the wolf, and they have to go much slower than they did originally. What with the horse not being able to go 30 times his max speed, and an extra person, and a peacock-sized bird in a cage. Ivan almost missed it, but the wolf didn't. The remains on the side of the trail were nearly gone, having been there for weeks at this point. They had been picked clean by the animals of the forest, 
so there were just rotting scraps and hair clinging to the carcass of the horse Ivan had rode in on. The wolf stopped and wouldn't stop looking at the horse. He told Ivan to get off. Whatever obligation he had made to the prince was fulfilled, and then some. Ivan thanked the wolf, patting him on the back, and the wolf nodded and leapt off into the forest without looking back. The forest wasn't as threatening riding out, and what took four days in riding in took nearly a week riding out, with two people in the bird, but Ivan and Helen didn't mind the extra time together. They came to the monolith with the warnings, and Ivan told her of when he first found it, and how he had met the wolf. They traveled a bit further, and decided to make camp for the night. They were less than two days from Ivan's father's Zardom, and then they would be married, and Ivan would be made the heir apparent. Ivan's brothers had spent weeks trying to decide what to do, lounging and drinking in the forest, not wanting to lose their horses, their lives, or be moderately uncomfortable, they eventually decided to just go home. As they rode along, they saw the glow of daylight in the forest to their right. It couldn't be. They dismounted, pulled out their swords, and crept towards the light. Brushing aside branches, they relaxed when they saw Ivan and Helen propped against a tree, sleeping. Both the horse and the bird were asleep as well. Vasily sheathed the sword, and he ran over to the cage. It was the firebird. Ivan had done it. Ivan had done it, Dmitri thought to himself, and Vasily padded over to him. They should take it. Now, he whispered, before Ivan wakes up. They could ride through the night and make it back to their father before Ivan's even awake. No, Dmitri said, and bowed his head. Ivan had done it, and once he eventually returned with the horse, their father would believe Ivan and this girl, whoever she was, regardless of who actually brought the bird back. No, it wouldn't do to steal this thing. Dimitri thought, Vasily had always been the second son, and thus had known a life where he would never be Tsar. He had been trained in the matters of state in the event that something happened to Dimitri, but Dimitri had always considered himself next in line to the throne. Now, he saw it slipping away. He would be forced to serve his brother, his youngest brother. The boy was barely out of childhood. He didn't know how to rule his artem. He didn't even have the good sense to stay awake and guard himself, or trade off guard duty with the young girl. Who was this young girl, by the way? She was beautiful. Dimitri had an idea. Dimitri calmly walked over to where Ivan was sleeping, took the sword that was still in his hand, and plunged it into his brother's stomach. No child would steal his birthright. Ivan's eyes shot open just in time for him to see, and feel, the sword slice its way up from his stomach, through his lungs and heart. In the panicked final moments of Prince Ivan, before he lost consciousness, all he could do was give his brother a confused, pained final look. Dmitri smirked and shrugged and wrenched the sleeping princess up by the wrist. She was too pretty to get covered in Ivan's blood. The last thing Prince Ivan saw was his brother starting to argue over who got the firebird, the horse, and Helen. Then, slumped up against a tree and only a day from home and the end of his quest, Prince Ivan died. Before it came to violence between them, the brothers drew lots for who got what. Dimitri, as it was fitting, won the bird and the inheritance, and also got to keep the horse, while Vasily got to marry Helen, not really caring at all what Helen thought about the matter. They told her she was far, far away from her home, and if she ever spoke of this to anyone, well, Dimitri here was the crown prince. He would be the law. There was no escape so she might as well get used to her new life.
they didn't even look back at their brother after Dimitri pulled his sword out, and they left his corpse propped up against the tree. They returned to their land, and while Tsar Vyslav was outwardly happy that they caught the firebird, he constantly looked over the horizon, looking for the sun that hadn't yet returned, holding out some hope that he was still alive. The brothers shrugged. They hadn't seen him the entire time out there. Dimitri was named heir apparent, and Vasily and Helen were engaged. And so ends the story of Prince Ivan and the Grey Wolf. Just kidding. If you've listened to the Kashi episodes, you know that whether it's being cut to pieces by an insane deathless sorcerer or being stabbed by his own brothers, you just can't keep a good Ivan down. The wolf, stalking the forest, waiting for the next traveler that chose his path, smelled something troubling on the wind. It was Ivan, but there was also another smell. He gasped. His eyes widened, and he took off like a shot. In a few hours, he was standing over Ivan's body, it having severely decomposed over the course of the last 30 days. There was still time, though. Somehow. If you were mad that the big bad wolf not only talked and helped Ivan, but could transform, then you're really not going to like that he threatened some birds to bring the waters of life and the waters of death from a place only the birds could access so that he could revive Ivan. The wolf waits next to the severely decomposed body for four days, thinking that the bird betrayed him, but finally it returned with the vials of water. The water of life was, unsurprisingly, water that could bring someone back to life. It's a mainstay in a lot of these Slavic and Russian folktales as a sort of get-out-of-death-free card, but little effort is spent in these stories explaining exactly what it is or where it came from. Generally, only birds can access it, though, which holds up with the Kashi story, so I guess it's a good idea to be nice to birds. The wolf took it in his mouth and poured it over Ivan, and the magic water went to work, knitting Ivan back together, healing the rotted portions, and filling him back in. With a gasp, Ivan woke up, pulled out his sword, and scrambled to his feet. Where the fire had been was just ashes, and it looked as if it hadn't been touched in weeks, and he was covered in all manner of leaves and detritus, and, of course, his friend the wolf was standing over him. Have I slept long? he asked. You would have slept forever if it wasn't for me, the wolf said. The wolf tells him to get on. He'll help him this one last time, because they have a wedding to stop. And I don't know how he knows that, but he's also a giant talking wolf who brought a guy back to life, so that's pretty low on the list of unrealistic things to be concerned about. Ivan makes it to his kingdom one death, two months, and three quests later. The wolf says Ivan needs to get in there, and that this is the last time they'll see each other. And Ivan gives the wolf a brief hug, thanks him, and runs inside. The wolf watches his friend before he's out of sight, and then he runs off, never to be seen again. I'm going to be honest, it's all a bit anticlimactic when he gets in. He arrives in time to stop the wedding between Prince Vasily and Helen, and the truth comes out. The Tsar believes Ivan and Helen, and locks the brothers up in the dungeons. Ivan is made the heir apparent, and after his father dies, he inherits the kingdom. Ivan never forgot what his brothers did to him, and for the rest of his life, he never spoke to them or went to go see them. He eventually forgave them, though, and sent an order to release them. Old men now withered and racked with the years spent in the darkness, Dmitri and Vasily were exiled, and died not as princes, but as cowherds, far, far away. Ivan and Helen ruled for years, 
in love with the legendary firebird and the gold-maned horse in their menagerie. And that's the end of the story. Personally, I really like how this story takes you into the forest, and at first it's the stereotypical cursed enchanted forest where the rules of civilization don't apply. But the thing in the forest that cursed Ivan, the big bad wolf, actually ends up helping him and saving him from that civilization. It does a really cool thing in turning all the expectations we have for civilization in the wilderness and cities and forests on their head, because Ivan actually experiences the most danger from civilization and outside of the forest. So that's it for this week. This was originally going to be a two-parter, but it ended up just working better as one episode. So next week we're going to stay in the Russian fairy tales, and I'll be telling a story of Baba Yaga, the legendary witch who lives in a house that literally stands on chicken legs. It's a story that's been requested so many times, so I'm excited to tell it. I want to say thanks to Limelight, MMJ1085, Govind Krishna, Sarogi1986, Xavier Rocks, Gamer Rico, Vanescar, AaronMB007, Niboy, Taters108, Boris the Gopher, Beckus84, Jumpy142, Vippertap, Stannyland89, Lizzie Cart, Mandy Likes Candy, TH0021, Cyanet, Moosey Dog, Rexinet, and Tweety Fangy for the reviews on iTunes. If you'd like to leave a review, iTunes is the best place for now. You can go to itunes.mythpodcast.com. Also, I heard from some listeners about last week's episode and some possible conditions for Ivar the Boneless. Clara reached out to me on Facebook and said that it's possible Ivar could have had rickets as a child, in which the bones can fail to calcify and as a result can be weaker than normal, and it's possible that they could be thought to be made of cartilage. Tihana mentioned on the website that it could be a very severe, untreated case of a congenital disease known as osteogenesis imperfecta. My medical knowledge is sparse at best, and I appreciate people reaching out with possible causes. Also, this is way too late, but Danette, who works in a veterinary school, reached out to me about the second Hercules episode, with the cows who are magically healthy, so they produced a lot of dung. And, yeah, apparently that's absolutely a thing. Healthy cows produce more dung, which makes the labor all the more gross, and King Augeus all the more irresponsible for letting the stables go 30 years between cleanings. The creature this week is the Tikbalang. And once again, that can't be the correct pronunciation. And it's from Philippine folklore. Think of it as something like an inverted centaur. You know how centaurs are human down to the waist, and then horse for all four of the legs? Well, this is a creature that has a horse head down to the chest, but human arms and legs. Sometimes. Or sometimes they have human legs down to the foot, where they are hooves. Regardless, they usually have very long legs. And when they squat down watching for you, their knees extend up past their head. He or she, lives in the forest, and is mostly kind of mean. Like most things that live in the wilderness, he'll either get you lost or kill you. They can be playful, and they might hide in the bushes and make you hallucinate, seeing things that aren't there. Sometimes they take things a bit too far, though, and make people go insane. They will sit in the woods, smoking their cigars, waiting for you, and when you get close, he'll rise up from the shadows with glowing red eyes and push you to the ground. He won't let you up, and will keep knocking you back down to the ground. What's all the more creepy is that all the while he's shaking and laughing with a childish giggle. If you stop fighting back, you'll blink and find yourself deep in the forest, lost, and it'll be night, the tickbaline gone. There are three ways to avoid being doomed to wander the forest before he pushes you down, tramples you, or worse. The first is just to ask for permission to pass. 
If you find that you're still lost, you can put your shirt on inside out to repel the thing. And if that doesn't seem to work, you have one more option. You have to somehow draw him out of hiding. When you see him running towards you, you have to jump on his back. His mane is mainly sharp spines, but he has three golden hairs hidden on it. While he's giving you this fairly intense piggyback ride, you have to find out where the three hairs are and pluck them out. At this point, though, things get pretty real, and he's not messing around anymore. It's not any of this shoving you to the ground and giggling business. No, if you fail after you jump on his back, he will eat you. If, however, you can pluck out those three golden hairs, he'll become your servant until the day you die. This one has some history behind it, too. The horse didn't make an appearance in the Philippines until the Spaniards brought them in the 16th century, and the legend of the Tikbalang emerges about that time. It's thought that it was one started by the Spanish conquistadors in order to keep the natives afraid of the night. Lastly, if you've ever been in a rainstorm while it's sunny, well, that apparently means two Tikbalangs are getting married, and if that's how you figured it out, well, you probably weren't invited. Sorry. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Links to the other music I used are in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>